Tuesday Night Mystery Club. Hello and welcome to the Tuesday Night Mystery Club. I'm your host, Caitlin McCluskey, and today I'm joined with a good friend of mine from a long time, Lauren Gonzalez. Hello, Lauren. Hi, how are you? I'm doing great. This is exciting because Lauren is actually a, she runs a blog. I think it's just one blog, but several Instagrams. Several Instagrams. (laughs) (laughs) And they're kind of focused around like, you know, lifestyle, reading, a lot of reading, book club. Mm -hmm. Um, So I have a blog um, (laughs) that is more of like a lifestyle based blog that I run with my friend Cheyenne. That's called The Optimist. You can follow us at uh, the.optimist.blog. Um, and I also have like a bookstagram page, which I didn't know existed. There's a corner of the internet that's all about books. But yeah, mm-hmm. go along with what I'm reading, it's at lauren.is.reading. And I talk about things that I like and things I don't like. Lovely. So, Lauren, what is your mystery experience, if any? Movies, TV shows, books? Um, I don't tend to read a lot of mystery books. I did actually just read one recently called The Guest List. Mm, I've seen that everywhere. My mom is a really big fan of this old, well, I mean, it's not old, but it's set in the 60s British show uh, that happens every Friday night. And it's uh, a little like small town English mystery. So we do we do enjoy a good mystery. Yeah, that's 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 what this is. That's what Agatha Christie is. Small town. We love it. So today we are doing a book called Elephants Can Remember by Agatha Christie. Mm-hmm. And this was actually one of her last books before she died. Second to last Hercule Poirot, but her third to last, or sorry, fourth to last book. Okay. And it was written in 1972. All right. So kind of, that's that might give you some setting of like, uh, if her first books came out in like the 20s mm-hmm. with what kind of technology in the 70s were like, you know, starting to get a little more modern. We're, we're a little more modern, a little more advanced. Yeah. So this book starts by introducing Mrs. Ariadne Oliver, and she's like a recurring character in the Agatha Christie world. She's a mystery novelist, and she showed up in episode nine when I did The Pale Horse. She was in that book, but she wasn't like predominantly featured. This one, she's like, she's in it for the whole time. Okay. And this character, I think, was, like, based off of how Agatha Christie viewed herself because this this character, Mrs. Oliver, writes a lot of mystery novels mm-hmm. and is constantly kind of talking about how difficult it is or how she hates talking to fans and things like that. <laughs> so we're introduced to her, and the reason being is because she's getting dressed for a liter- literary luncheon mm-hmm. uh, and trying to decide which hat to wear. And she doesn't want to go at all. She hates, she hates, again, because you'll have to like talk to fans. She doesn't like going to kind of anything mm. in the public eye. Yeah. Do you think, is literally luncheon, is that a thing that still exists, do you think? I hope so. I'm sure that there are, there are still like, you know, <laughs> you go to like Indigo and meet the author and she reads from the book or he and then they sign but I think that literary luncheon sounds great I mean books and lunch I agree definitely better than whatever is happening at indigo I I because there's maybe I think indigo should probably take uh some notes (laughs) 
So she goes to the lunch and um, says it's super tasty. She loves the food itself because I think, you know, you're just sitting at a table and you don't have to worry about as much who you're talking to. But afterwards is when that's when she gets worried because like everyone gets up to have coffee and there's like, it's the the fear of who are you going to talk to and like who's going to get your attention and will you talk to the right person? So that's exactly what happens, what she's expecting. And this woman comes up to her to talk to her about her books and... Um, or a bunch, I guess a bunch of women are coming around her, but then she's accosted by this like super bossy woman who like takes her arm and pulls her aside and is like, I'm going to talk to you and brings her into like a corner of the room. Oh boy. (laughs) (laughs) And so she gets them alone. She orders some coffee and this woman, this woman, she introduces herself as Mrs. Burton Cox. It's like a hyphenated last name. Mm -hmm. And she wants to confide in Mrs. Oliver because she thinks that Mrs. Oliver would have like a good opinion because of her mystery books. And so she's kind of, she's talking all about, like she's alluding to what she's going to say, but hasn't said it yet, but she's saying, I need to ask your opinion, Mrs. Oliver. And then she comes out with it. She says, Mrs. Oliver, she knows Mrs. Oliver has a goddaughter, which Mrs. Oliver thinks in her head, yeah, I have like 20 goddaughters and godsons. Like I'm, I don't know. I don't have kids of my own. That's what I do. (laughs) (laughs) Famous author and famous godmother. Yeah, exactly. This specific goddaughter is named Celia Ravenscroft. Okay. Big last name. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Rave, uh, Ravenscroft? Ravenscroft? I think Ravenscroft. I like Very dramatic. I like Good. Yes. This girl, Celia, is thinking to marry this boy, Desmond. They're potentially dating or in going something going on there. And Desmond is Mrs. Burton Cox's son. So she's kind of saying, look, we have this kind of connection here. And then she asks, this is this is what she wants to know of Miss Oliver. Did Celia's mother kill her father, or was the father, or was it the father who killed the mother? Ooh. So yeah, immediately we're like, what? What is going on here? I need a lot more information. Yeah. Which Mrs. Oliver kind of does doesn't have. She doesn't really remember what's going on. So you can imagine if anyone asked you that, yeah. you'd be kind of shocked. And so she's Thinking back in her memory about, like, what what is going on? Trying to remember who these people are, like the Ravenscrofts themselves. And then she kind of, she has it. She'd gone to school with Mrs. Ravenscroft, or Lady Ravenscroft, as she would become, when they were, like, younger. They had gone to a, uh, like, pet, I think they call it a pensionat, pensionat, I'm saying it wrong. But it's, like, you go to, it'd be, like, English girls go to France to Uh learn Mm -hmm. things. (laughs) Or Switzerland or places like that. So they had been there together. And then Mrs. Burton Cox fills her in on what she's missing. And it's that the husband and wife, so I think it was General or Colonel Ravenscroft and Lady Ravenscroft had been found shot with a, a, the pistol lying between them and both their fingerprints were on the were on the gun. Mm-hmm. So it's this kind of idea of like, they never knew, was it a double suicide? Was it a murder-suicide? Yeah. If it was, who murdered who? Or whatever. Yeah. And so Mrs. Oliver is, like, furious. She's like, who asks this kind of question? Why does it matter? Who cares? Like, this is my goddaughter. I barely know her. And she gets basically runs away. She's, like, gets up and goes home. She's not talking to anyone else. That was, that was all she could stand yeah. for the day. So then, basically right away, she gets home. Mrs. Oliver gets home, and she calls up her friend, Hercule Poirot. They've been, like, buds for a while. I don't know how long back their friendship goes. But uh, they've been in several books together. Mm-hmm. And 
she she's asked she kind of she calls up her Poro whenever she comes across something she mrs oliver's got like a really good eye for i don't know what she she calls it but like she i don't know she calls it women's intuition um yeah. where she just kind of knows that something's up Something and so i think to her I mean, obviously this is talking directly about death, but she even sometimes has a feeling that something, it's not just an accident or it's not just mm -hmm. suicide. Like she can kind of tell, no, 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 something else is going on here. And so normally she'll call up Poirot and be like, hey, come help me, dude. And uh, Poirot is always willing to oblige. He, he really likes his friend, Mrs. Oliver. Good. So we got green team. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This can be, this, that's what we're talking about. <laughs> so he comes, Poirot comes to see her that evening or she goes, no, she goes to see, well, it doesn't matter. She goes to see Poirot at his house. And when she arrives, she tells him all about this bossy woman and what had happened to her earlier in the day. And she tells him the story because she's kind of remembered about Lord and Lady Ravens Ravenscroft. Ravenscroft? I got to make up my mind. Ravenscroft. <laughs> and she's saying how they had just settled down. They had been like, uh, it was during the this kind of period in British history where there's still like a lot of colonization. And so therefore they had like military bases kind of all over the world. Mm -hmm. Or I guess they still kind of do. Or maybe that's the US. US has more military bases. I don't know. But that kind of idea where they're, they yeah. kind of were like traveling all around living because he was part of the military. And so he had retired and they had settled down in England in this house. And very soon after... They were both shot with this pistol right outside their house. They had been supposedly on a walk. Mm -hmm. And in all the newspapers, it was this back and forth of, was it murder? Was it suicide? What happened? Was it outside? Was it one of the two of them? Mm -hmm. And so they're talking and they discuss, again, like, why does this Miss Burton Cox woman care so much? Like, what is it to her yeah. if, sure, her son might be marrying this this daughter of this couple, but like, why does it matter if they committed suicide or not? Or if one of them murdered the other? Like, who cares? And then, so then from that, they kind of discuss, is it is it that she doesn't want her son to marry, us, marry Celia? Is this like some form of like discouraging her? Or is it some form of like mental instability that they're worried about? Like if someone, like that, that idea that like, mm -hmm. if your mother's a murderer or your father's a murderer, that those kind of genes could be passed down to you. Yeah, she doesn't want I don't, Celia to murder Desmond in the future. She doesn't want Celia to murder Desmond. Yeah, exactly. Even though I don't think that's how it works at no, all. I don't think so. Miss <laughs> Solver's kind of asking, what should I do? And Poirot kind of tells her, I think there's three things. You can either tell, basically tell Miss Burton, Mrs. Burton Cox, like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not touching this. Like, screw you. Figure it out yourself if you care so much. You can do that. Or you could actually ask Celia what happened. And you could either then tell Miss, Mrs. Burton Cox or more likely don't tell her, just know for yourself. Or, and then Poirot says, this is the best, this is your best option. Do nothing. Leave it alone. It doesn't matter. Don't get involved. What would you do in this scenario, Lauren? Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> I mean, I guess it kind of depends on her relationship with Celia. And you said earlier that they hadn't really, she hadn't really seen Celia in a while. So it might be a little awkward to approach her about this topic. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, mm -hmm. you know, it's delicate. Though I, I, I think I would probably uh, reach out to Celia and kind of just uh, ask her gently about it. Not too many details. And then just mm -hmm. kind of leave it be at that. Yeah. So me too. I feel like I couldn't leave it at nothing. I'd be too interested in yeah. what's going on. 
like all the gossip. <laughs> well, especially because of Mrs. Burtoncock and like Desmond, I would want to warn Celia. Like I don't know, watch out. This yes. is yeah. Is his mother or yeah. godmother again? This is uh, Miss Burtoncock's is his mother. Desmond's his mother. mother. Yeah. So, you know, maybe just take take what she says with a grain of salt, or just be careful. I feel like yeah. I'd have to just. Let I would do the same thing. To to also just to come back to something you said about like yeah, were had they seen each other? Uh, Miss Oliver kind of says she doesn't think she's seen Celia in like five or six years, and it's because I I didn't have a godmother. I'm not really sure what is that Catholic where godparents are. I think so. Prevalent. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I struggled with some religion things a couple episodes ago as well. I think it is Catholic. Okay, so. She's kind of saying that, like, the duty of a godparent is basically to, like, buy them a fancy gift for their, like, christening or, no, baptizing. That's the right word, I think. And, like, kind of take them out for lunch and, like, kind of buy them fancy things that their parents can't, wouldn't buy them. And then get them a really nice gift on their 21st birthday. And then basically you're done. You're, like, your job's done. They're not a kid anymore. Oh. I always thought... That's Mrs. Oliver's well, point of view. Mrs. Oliver's <laughs> idea of a godparent. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, what what did you think? Well, I was always under the impression that godparents, at least in like the Catholic faith, because I have godparents. My dad's brother is my godfather, my okay. mom's second sister is my godmother. So I was always under the impression that were anything yes. happened to my parents, I would be put under the care of my godparents if I wasn't like already of adult. Mm, okay. I mean that could yeah, that could very well be. Yeah. It seems Mrs. Oliver didn't do this because yeah. clearly both Celia's parents died and she's not seen her in six years yeah yeah exactly yeah she kind of says she's too interested to do nothing yeah but she also yeah she's not gonna she doesn't really want to talk with miss burton cox she just wants to you know let let celia know but she yeah she agrees the smart answer is to do nothing that's like if you really were above all of it that you'd be able to do that but like human curiosity is just getting to her and so i think most people could agree of course, we have human curiosity. Absolutely. So then Poirot kind of says, okay, if we're going ahead with this, like, I'll help out. And so he has some friends in the police that he thinks he can get some information out of. And Mrs. Oliver isn't sure who to talk to. And this is kind of when we get the first mention of elephants. And they do, they come up a lot in the story. And I think it's purposeful because it's a book that's written. But everyone kind of mentions that phrase, either elephants can remember or elephants don't forget. And so... This is Mrs. Oliver's idea. She's kind of saying, I hope maybe I can find some elephants. And what she means by that are people that were around or knew the Ravenscrofts and would have the kind of memory where they could remember something about them. And so she's calling those people elephants and saying elephants can remember. And then it kind of becomes a joke between her and Poirot where he'll, he'll say like, how was your safari? Or like, did you, how were the elephants today? Or things like that. So she's thinking she'll have to find mutual friends of hers because she still needs to be able to talk to them who lived in the area at the time mm-hmm. and who knew the Ravenscrofts or when they lived out out at like the military posts, people who might have known them then and again yeah. are mutual friends with Mrs. Oliver. So she starts her elephant hunt by trying to find all of her old address books. And so I guess, I, I mean, I had an address book as a kid. I feel like it's less common now. You just keep it in your phone. Yeah. <laughs> she has an address book for every year and so she'd transfer I guess or maybe every two years or something but she'd transfer 
the addresses that were important to her to the new address book and then fill it up with new addresses throughout the year and then same thing so she goes back to find her address books from I think they say the from like 12-ish years ago or something around then she's not sure of the exact time of what year it happened but she's looking back into the past to find these addresses Mm -hmm. Um, but the first person she wants to talk to is Celia Ravenscroft so this is the like she's Again, she hasn't spoken to her in several years. She says, like, five or six. She only has to go back five or six address books to find Celia's, like, last known address. And then she goes through this whole rigmarole of calling this person who says, no, Celia doesn't live here. She lives there. And then calling that person, just trying to find Celia. Phone tag. Yeah. (laughs) So she reaches Celia, and Celia remembers her, first off. She has not forgotten her godmother, which is a good thing. (laughs) She agrees to come over that evening for a chat. So we're moving quickly. Yeah, that must have been like such a weird call to get. (laughs) I wonder if she just said, listen, this crazy lady, maybe not crazy, but (laughs) at a luncheon and asked me about your parents and I realized I didn't know. So let's chat. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Basically, I don't think she mentions the parents yet. She's like leaving them out of it. She's just like, hey, come over. We haven't seen each other in a while. So Celia comes over and she, they kind of talk a little bit about the past, you know, get, start getting into the rhythm of things and about like the last time they saw each other. And Mrs. Oliver starts to tell her about what had happened the other day, like why she actually wanted to see her, what had happened at the luncheon. Mm -hmm. And Celia is so shocked by Mrs. Burton Cox's question. Yeah. And they both kind of agree. She's like, they call her an odious woman. An odious woman. It just sounds like I'm not nice person <laughs> odious yeah that's that's why i took it so it says the definition says it's extremely unpleasant or repulsive yeah so yeah <laughs> neither of them are pleased i don't think celia celia kind of knows this woman already because she says yes i am she kind of goes no desmond and i aren't like gonna we weren't planning to get married necessarily soon but we are we're like in love with each other kind of thing or things are going well so then Mrs. Oliver admits that she had been in this, like, in the United States on a book tour when in the tragedy had happened 12 years ago. And Celia is kind of saying, yeah, I was only, like, I was around 14, 13, 14 at that time. So I also, my memory isn't great. Oh, so this is still Mrs. Oliver saying that she had not actually seen very much of Celia's parents while they were, like, in the however many like the last few decades because even before they died they had been living abroad a lot and they call it like in the service which is mm-hmm. right, like you know in the in the military yep and celia kind of tells mrs oliver she does not want to tell mrs burton cox anything so she's kind of like we can discuss it but i don't want you telling her anything and mrs oliver is like yeah of course not don't worry girl i got you and then she says, but she will tell, yes, she'll tell Mrs. Oliver everything she knows about the tragedy. And then she goes, but sorry, it's nothing. I was in, like, I was at boarding school, basically. I, like, I didn't, I loved my parents, but I didn't know them that well. I have absolutely no idea if it was suicide or murder. Like, so much information was kept from me. And I was in, she had been in Switzerland at the time. I had, again, like, one of those pensionat, pensionat. Fancy boarding schools. <laughs> Fancy boarding, finishing school or like that kind of thing. Fancy boarding school. So she... A preparatory academy. Yes. Yes. So Celia th- does say, though, that it would be she would be interested to know what happened because she kind of says that she thinks of it all the time. Like even especially in recent years, it's something that's 
come up like she's you know falling asleep thinking about it and waking up it's constantly on her mind and so she would like to know yeah she'd like to know what happened so that she can kind of rest easy which miss solver obviously understands i mean yeah it's like that um i don't know if you've ever seen the born movies but i think in the um yes was it the second one where he goes back to like the daughter of his first his first targets and his job was just to kill the father but then the mother was in the hotel room as well so then he ended up having to kill both of them and so actually the little situation is almost pretty much exactly like celia's because i mean the papers all reported it as like the mother who killed the father and then killed herself but like he just wanted her to know what really happened and that her parents didn't actually kill themselves and they or each other and that they did love each other so i think yeah that's a pretty big deal to know or to not know yeah yeah, it definitely weighs on you. I do remember that. You described that very well because I didn't know what you were going to talk about at first. And now I have like a vivid image of the movie. <laughs> of like Matt Damon just totally broken and like beaten up sitting in this girl's apartment. And she walks in. She's like, uh, yes. Who are you? It's in. <laughs> this is, It's like in Russia. Yeah. Or some such country. Okay. Yeah, I think Berlin. Okay. I got it. <laughs> Great film. Uh, I should watch those again. <laughs> They're so good. They really are. See, so yeah, I kind of exactly what you're saying. This girl, she's thinking, was it actually double suicide? Could it have been that like someone from the house shot them? Could it have been someone like just totally from the outside? Mm-hmm. And so this is, then uh, she, she does kind of know who was in the house at the time. And so she says there was like an old blind housekeeper slash like cook. There was a foreign au pair girl that was taking care of the mother. And so this foreign girl had been Celia's and her younger brother Edward's governess the younger brother doesn't really factor into things too much but he he's mentioned the the au pair girl had been their governess but now was taking care of her mother because her mother had been in in hospital I think for a little bit before then okay and then there was an aunt and who she kind of says she'd never really loved the aunt much they like they just I don't know if they knew each other very well maybe because they traveled so often and then her younger brother had also been at school was like at boarding school so he was there both kids were out of the house okay can you imagine a time like that where like it was the norm to just send your kids away yeah that's it's just wild to me yeah I don't know yeah and not just like did you say that she was in Switzerland as well or were they just in the country in boarding schools I don't know but it was so common to just like yeah send your kids away see them maybe like once or twice a year (laughs) yeah or even I think like there's some idea that like they this will come up later a little bit but like that they they'll yeah they go on holiday and they might not even go on holiday with their parents they might just go somewhere like a friend's family friend's house or things like that that's so wild so the brother was at boarding school in England and she was at yeah preparatory school in Switzerland but I think had like she's now older and that's why when she was younger it was just boarding school in England yeah boring old England yeah (laughs) I'm kidding I'd love to be in school in England sounds right (laughs) one of those like old schools (laughs) yes exactly wild I'm sure Switzerland is equally (laughs) castle-like yeah yeah no it's it's wild I have a friend who's from Cambridge and Mm -hmm. to um like a fancy school there and yeah his school is basically just mm-hmm. castle like it was a straight up castle for high school which so cool i know right and they wore like these purple fancy jackets <sighs> i'm jealous i don't know 
So both of them are out of the house. Yeah, and so we kind of move now from this is Mrs. This is what Mrs. Oliver got out of Celia, and now we move to another part of London where Poirot is meeting with some of his retired police friends. And this, so it's it's we're introduced to Superintendent Spence, and he's kind of there just as like a um, almost a go between. So Superintendent Spence also shows up in a couple other. Agatha Christie mysteries Mm -hmm. and he's there because he's friends with Chief Superintendent Garraway who was actually on the Ravenscroft case when it happened 12 years ago and so Spence is there to introduce Poirot to Garraway. Oh that's just perfect works out great. (laughs) Yeah yeah everyone knows each other. So Garraway had never it's one of those cases that he'd never forgotten he kind of like compares it to like Lizzie Borden case which Mm -hmm. again like didn't was never really solved like everyone kind of might think they know what happened or has their own opinion, but yeah. can't be sure. And so he says that the facts were very clear, yet somehow it, it had been clear that it was just a double suicide. That's what everything led to, but somehow it just felt wrong. Yeah. So the other thing too is like this couple seemed like everyone kind of described them as like a loving, um, well-balanced and kind of like placid couple. And so the idea that there was something brewing underneath, there was just no signs of it. No one talked about it yeah. at all Like the friend's or people who lived nearby or lived in the house. And this is where he says, like, there were blurred fingerprints of both of them on the gun, and there was nothing to show that it had been handled by anyone else. Like, if someone had worn gloves, like, those prints would have been smudged more, or if they had been white, like, if someone had wiped them because they didn't want to leave fingerprints, like, no, both husband and wife's fingerprints. And they, but they still, they, because both of them were on there, they couldn't tell who had handled it last. So they weren't shoot, sure you know, who would shot who. Mm -hmm. It just wasn't clear. And then Garraway only had, he kind of says he only has knowledge of them since they have moved back to England. So they'd only been in England for about six or so years before the tragedy and before that they had been out wherever in the world. And so he's kind of saying anything could have happened while they were in India or abroad or wherever else they were. And then he says, old sins have long shadows. Ooh. Yeah, so, like, the idea of, like, things that are bad in the past, like, have a more far-reaching effect, I guess. Mm-hmm. Then you might think, yeah. And then Poirot asks, kind of out of the blue, did they have a dog? And the the police guy, Garraway, says that they had, no- they normally went on walks with the dog, so that, yes, like, they did, and Poirot kind of jokes that the dog would know a lot if he was still alive. Yeah. And then Garraway has a list of people who were in the house at the time. So he kind of got what Celia remembers. And so he confirms that there was a housekeeper. It was her day off. So she actually wasn't there that day. And the housekeeper had said that Lady Ravenscroft had been like acting kind of nervy since she had been back from hospital for the last few weeks. And so that's kind of why the old governess was there. Uh, And that there was also a gardener on the premises. So we were kind of getting some more list of people. So now we jump to maybe a few days from now where Mrs. Oliver is going on an elephant hunt. So that's fun. And she's going to visit, just as I was saying before, kind of people who may remember Mm -hmm. things from that time 12 or 13 years ago. So she starts by visiting this woman named Julia Carstairs. And Julia was an old friend who had lived near the Ravenscrofts at the time, like where their house in England and they obviously start by talking about old times and family, and then they have tea, and then they go for a walk, and then finally, Mrs. Oliver brings up Celia, her goddaughter. And so they get to talking about that, and then Mrs. Carstairs remembers 
she remembers the mother whose name was so it's lady ravenscroft but her given name was margaret but most people called her molly mm. um and so she starts talking about the mother and what she remembers of her and how she was big into wearing wigs she had like had like around four wigs mm-hmm. and so this is where i think it kind of goes back to like thinking about what, what the times were like like i know it's i know it's like really prevalent in the black community and i think orthodox jewish community to wear wigs nowadays right yeah yeah that's interesting but then it was kind of it was this idea of like i guess probably people with more women with more money uh but they would wear wigs when they were traveling because it was like less hassle or if they were going out or if it was you know raining or whatever and so four four wigs seemed like a lot two wigs would be normal because you'd have one wig and then you could send the other wig back to be like cleaned and you still had the one wig and then they could like trade off or things like that okay i didn't know that there was a normal number of wigs interesting <laughs> i i not okay normal is maybe the wrong word but it's kind of like the most people who owned a wig would own at least two wigs because of that like yeah, if you sense. wanted to send it back to be cleaned you wanted you wanted your like backup wig <laughs> it's i find that a little difficult to talk about because nowadays i i don't I don't think I know anyone personally who wears a wig for like fashion reasons. Like I feel like I know influencers or people online or maybe celebrities who do it a lot more, but like I don't I don't know anyone. Yeah, me neither. Oh, actually no, that's not true. Mm-hmm. I know one person who but she doesn't really wear like full wigs. She wears like ponytail extension kind of I don't even know if that would be true mm. wig. But maybe not, but it's that that's the same idea. Of, yeah. Like it's this easy way to change kind of change not change your appearance but like yeah yeah kind of like it's like for fashion yeah so and then this miss carstairs keeps talking about her now she's getting into like talking about the tragedy and she says that at the inquest i guess she'd either been there because she had lived in the area she remembers it the 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 not the judge but the police had thought it that it was just as likely the husband had shot the wife versus the wife shooting the husband so there was no they couldn't really distinguish between the two Then she says there had been two guns in the house, two pistols. It's be and partly because Lord Ravenscroft was like a military gentleman. It was like that idea of like you know you got to protect yourself. Like that's this is the only way to be. Yeah. But she kind of thinks it would be less likely that Mrs. Ravenscroft had carried it out on their walk because I guess kind of similar now where like men's versus women's pockets and clothing are a lot different but she's kind of saying a man could conceal a gun a lot easier in this time than a woman could conceal a gun yeah that's true that's true not that it'd be impossible but like you wouldn't carry a purse with you or a bag or anything on a walk if you were planning on you know killing your husband and not telling him i guess yeah and then killing yourself (laughs) and then killing yourself so then Mrs. Carstairs kind of gets into like her opinions on what she thinks a little bit. And so she had thought that Lord Ravenscroft had had a heart attack earlier that year. And so she's kind of thinking he might have thought that he was dying of cancer. And so neither of them kind of wanted to like go on living if he was going to die soon or like have to like die of cancer. And so he had shot himself and the wife was like, I don't want to be around either. And so she had shot herself. And there was also this idea going around that there was a secretarial woman in the house who was like helping Lord Ravenscroft was like writing like his personal memoirs or something and she was helping with that Mm -hmm. and so there was this idea that like they might have been like cheating having an affair yeah yeah having an affair and so maybe 
Lady Ravenscroft had shot her husband and then her, like because she was so mad at him and then felt guilty and shot herself or maybe Lord Ravenscroft had shot his wife because he wanted to get her out of the picture so he could be with the secretary woman and then had felt guilty and shot himself or so there was that suggestion but Mrs. Carstairs thinks it's most likely it like that's not as likely it was more likely that Molly the wife had been seeing another man and then she suggests at the time She's saying that the son had had a tutor and the husband had caught her cheating or having an affair with the tutor. And so he had shot her and then shot himself because he felt guilty. So just all this, so many possibilities so many of options. what yeah. could be going on. So she, she leaves Mrs. Carstairs and goes on to the next person, which ends up being, this is Mrs. Oliver's like old nanny from when she was a kid. Her name's Mrs. Matcham. Mm-hmm. And they're both very excited to see each other because it's like her, her like childhood coming Aww. back to her. Yeah. Miss Matcham is so excited because it's like, she loves, she kind of loves all her children is what she's saying. And her whole house is filled with pictures of the kids that she's raised and like the gifts and furniture that has been sent to her from these kids that still love her. It's very cute. Oh, yeah, that is cute. How wholesome. Yeah. So... Mrs. Matcham had been nanny to, like, not just Mrs. Oliver, but kids and kids after that. And so, so it happens, she had been in, they call it Malaya, at the time, at a similar time that the Ravenscrofts were in Malaya. I think Malaya might be something around Malaysia slash Indonesia. Or it might just be invented. Like, she might have just made up this name that kind of sounded. British Malaya loosely describes a set of states on the Malaya Peninsula and the island of Singapore that were brought under British hegemony or control between the 18th and the 20th centuries. Okay, so it was like a British... Colony, I guess. Well, not really colon- colonized. Like colonized territory. Okay, in near Singapore. Yeah. Okay, so they're, they're kind of describing this place, I guess, in Singapore. They're calling Malaya, where the husband or Lord Ravenscroft had been stationed for many years. And so she's she's gone to the nanny... She, I don't think she knows, she doesn't think that the nanny had been nanny to the Ravenscroft kids, but knows that she had been around or would have been like, would have gone in those like circles Mm -hmm. of families. And so the family that she had been with had actually lived pretty close to the Ravenscrofts while they were out in Malaya, which she kind of goes on about, it was such a sad thing that happened to them out there. And Mrs. Oliver has no idea what she's talking about. She's kind of just letting her talk and hoping that she'll, like, pick up on it. She's like, oh, yeah, it was really sad. But she does not know what's going on. And so the nanny describes that either the sister of the husband or the sister of the wife had come out to live with them while they were in Malaya. And she had been in mental institutions several times. Is that, am I using the right word for that, mental institutions, or what's it called? What would you call it now? Um, I guess, like, now we would maybe call it, like, a psychiatric facility, but I think back in the day, in, like, the 70s, they probably would have still called it, like, a mental institution or, like, an asylum or something like that. Maybe. I'm not Yeah. Sure. Yeah, so it's those terms. She had been in psychiatric hospitals several times in the, like, the years... I, uh, maybe decades, several times throughout mm-hmm. this. Um, the nanny's not really sure, but she thinks she thinks she had thrown a baby in a pond. Is kind of what she's saying when she oh. was young. And a friend of the Ravens, 
so what had happened in Malaya was a friend of the Ra the two kids of the Ravenscroft kids had been living there, um, but it wasn't the younger one. It was the girl, the older one. A friend of the Ravenscroft girl had come to play with her, and but she and then she just goes like, oh, it was very sad, but she can't remember the details. And so then the aunt or the the sister had been taken away by a doctor again and gone back to a psychiatric hospital in England. And so there's all, we're missing a lot of details yeah. here. It's kind of trying to pull together. Wait, so what happened? But Mrs. Oliver isn't asking. I don't think she wants to prod too much. Yeah. Or maybe the nanny doesn't remember. And then the nanny doesn't remember. I don't think she was in the country for the Ravenscroft, like the, the possible double suicide or the death of the husband and wife. And so she doesn't, she doesn't remember anything about it. So Mrs. Oliver, again, moves on. Okay, so that's interesting. We have, like, a whole new thing <laughs> to find out about. Yeah, yeah. It's the maybe, like, going back to that um, police officer Garraway's, what did he say? Oh, like, sins have long passages. Old sins have long shadows. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So then Mrs. Oliver goes to visit um, another old friend, this woman named Mrs. Buckle who had worked for the Ravenscrofts um, around that time before the tra tragedy. Mm -hmm. And she used to, she says, oh yes, I remember that. I used to go in three mornings a week. And they don't specify why, but I think to clean, like that would have been the, mm -hmm. like she wasn't a live-in person. But anyways, so to clean. But she says she had st actually stopped working for the Ravenscrofts a few months before the tragedy because her own mother had gotten sick. And so she had stopped to like care for her. Okay. And she says Lord Ravenscroft had had heart trouble and he was taking pills for it. And that Lady Ravenscroft had been really missing her social life. And so it was this idea that while they were out at station for the military, she would have been living like a lot more closely with people that were similar to her. Whereas in England, she kind of knew she didn't know anybody. And so she was feeling lonely. Mm -hmm. And then she says that she had never believed the suicide pact she thinks that's kind of impossible. She knew the Ravenscrofts and there's no way either of them wanted to commit suicide or that they commit suicide together. And that she thinks that it was an outsider. She thinks someone came in from the outside and she kind of suggests that the gardener had had a bad reputation. The gardener had had, I think, run-ins with the law and things like that, where he had maybe not been arrested, but had been caught doing things that he shouldn't have been doing mm -hmm. and gotten in trouble. And so she's kind of thinking that well, one, that the idea that there were other boyfriends or girlfriends is ridiculous. There's no truth in that, that the Ravenscrofts, like, both loved each other. But that the gardener, had he, she's kind of suggesting, she doesn't know this, but she's theorizing. The gardener had, like, stolen money from the Ravenscrofts or something like that or cheated in some way. And Lord Ravenscroft had kind of caught him or, like, found out about it. Maybe mm -hmm. the gardener would have killed Lord Ravenscroft to, like, keep him quiet and then the, if the wife like happened to be there maybe he killed her too Interesting. and then she mentions she mentions that it was lady ravencroft's sister who had come to visit and came to visit quite often and she calls her a troublemaker and says that she liked she like liked to stir the pot and you know bring people down yeah and she thinks that it was a half-sister and that she doesn't, she didn't think that Lady Ravenscroft liked having her down. She thinks that it was actually the husband who liked to have the sister come down because she was really good at playing cards and he liked to have the, the company to play games. <laughs> Fair enough, I guess. So is this the sister yeah. who in Malaya had visited and had a history of 
being admitted or had the history of like mental illness or are we not sure yet we're not really sure we're not sure I kind of like you're kind of reading it or I am that's not you I was kind of reading and going it feels that way it feels like we're kind of tying some things in together but these none of these people necessarily have the best memories like they might be remembering wrong or they might have some details that are correct and some that aren't so could be or could be a different yeah, we're gonna we're gonna kind of piece some more stuff together soon. So that evening, Mrs. Oliver, after like she's she's I think she's seen more people than these three people that we've talked about. These were just the more important ones. Mm-hmm. But she goes to consult with Poirot and says that she has heard a lot of stories and a lot of suggestions, but she isn't sure which ones are true or if even any of them are true. And Poirot says that they're it's still important and we still need to talk about them because even if they're not true, they could be based on the truth. Like someone might have had, like kind of spun a story from a fact, but that fact still exists. And so we kind of just need to, you know, dig through the clutter and find find what we're looking for. Mm-hmm. Very wise, very wise. <laughs> and so the first suggestion she brings up is that the general was having an affair with the secretary. The second suggestion was that Lady Ravenscroft was having an affair with the tutor. And there was some people that suggested the gardener. So those are, she's kind of saying the overarching opinions of what people had. It's either this, like of these three things, these were mentioned the most. Do you have an opinion on any of those? Or do you think that like there's any other suggestions that should be mentioned? I don't know. I feel like those are, those are a good start. Though I'm, I'm a little suspicious about the gardener suggestion just because, I don't know. I thought it was a little suspicious that the housekeeper immediately was like, hmm, that gardener though, he wasn't. He was doing something that wasn't like quite right. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Because like the other people that Mrs. Oliver talked to, nobody really pointed anybody out specifically. So I just thought that was a little suspicious. Yeah, fair enough. So those are those are yeah, what what she's heard. And then they kind of go into some other details that she's that aren't suggestions of what happened, but just kind of people saying this is what it was. And so First, that the housekeeper was blind or like or deaf or both, and that no one suspects the housekeeper. And then there's also a suggestion that Mrs. Ravenscroft might have had cancer. And so there was it was partly because people had said to her she like had gone into London for a couple of visits with the doctor and she hadn't been happy when she'd come back. And then that idea that she had lots of wigs, it was like, was she losing her hair? And that's why she was wearing more wigs than normal. And then several people had suggested that either the husband some people suggested the wife had gone to London to get treatment and then other people had suggested the husband had gone to London for treatment at a doctor. And so there was a little bit of, could have been both of them, could have been one of them, could have been neither of them. So then Poirot talks of the police point of view and that was that they were both very affectionate and loving towards each other and that no illness had been discovered in either of them after their death. So he's kind of saying neither of them were dying of cancer so the police could find post-mortem. Okay. Then Mrs. Oliver tells him of the Malaya story about a sister who had killed her own children and then a possible tragedy in Malaya. And then there was another story that had been suggested to her at some point that it was actually one of the Ravenscroft children that had died out in Malaya and that they had adopted another one or or something along those lines. Hmm. So then Mrs. Oliver kind of says she's starting to wonder, did anyone actually profit by their deaths? And she's saying not just in the money sense, but like, did someone profit if they were out of the way, they could gain something in some other way? She's not sure what, but she's kind of just trying to wrap her mind around and figure out yeah. 
Could someone have wanted them dead? Sapporo is interested in all of this, but he seems more interested in the dog. He wants to know, did it come on the walk with them that day? Or did it follow them? Or was it not there at all? And Mrs. Oliver kind of says when, when Poro was talking about this, that some of she'd again heard suggestions and stories from people about the dog. And some people said the dog was very devoted to Lady Ravenscroft. And then other people said, no, the dog bit Lady Ravenscroft. Like they it didn't like her. Oh. So there's again, just several stories about that. And then Poro kind of admits he wants to meet Mrs. Burton Cox, the, the woman, and he wants to meet the goddaughter Celia. Like he wants to... He can hear these stories from Mrs. Oliver, but he wants to see them himself and kind of make his own opinion. Yeah, of course. So two days later, Poirot's at home and he gets a letter from Desmond Burton Cox, Miss Burton Cox's son, asking for a meeting. And he refers to his, in the letter, he kind of refers to his mother having met Ariadne Oliver, but he says he had like phoned up mrs oliver's secretary and she had said that mrs oliver was on a safari or something to do with elephants and so he's kind of going i expect i won't be able to see her for a really long time so i thought i'd you know send a letter to you Mm -hmm. and so that's just the (laughs) the elephant hunting joke so then he arranges for desmond to come the following afternoon which he does and desmond seems very nervous and poirot kind of has to put him at ease by saying that he's already heard a lot of things from mrs oliver so don't worry, Desmond, you don't have to tell me the full story. I kind of have an idea. And Desmond kind of goes, first off, the first thing he says is, this is none of my mother's business. She had no reason to go to Mrs. Oliver in the first place. And she shouldn't be messing in our business. Like, who I want to marry is my, like, I get to decide that. And then he says, it's really none of her business because I'm actually adopted. Like, she's not even my real mother. Mm -hmm. And you kind of get this sense that, like, he, yeah, he doesn't, Poirot's kind of getting the sense that he doesn't really seem to like his mother, but he doesn't say that outright. He's just, you know, kind of guessing. Yeah, he's taking notes. Exactly. So his mother had, he kind of, he's saying how his mother had told him that there was um, someone who had suffered from a mental disability in the family, the Ravenscroft family, and she had heard that it had been Lady Ravenscroft who had been trying to kill children in Malaya. So it was not an aunt. It was the wife, like Lady Ravenscroft herself. Mm. And so he says that this was making, Des, this is Desmond saying, this is making Celia think they shouldn't get married if it if there is some kind of like hereditary, um, something to do with genes, depending on if it's the mother or father. But he's saying, I like, I want to marry her. I don't, I don't care. I like, I don't think this is true. And I also, I don't care. I want to marry her anyways. But she she's steadfast she's not going to do this okay and then desmond desmond gives some more information he knows the names and addresses of the old governesses that had been with the with the ravenscroft children when they were younger and this is kind of cute they're affectionately known as maddie and zeli and it's because they were both they were both french and so maddie had been they had both been taken from the name mademoiselle and so maddie was you know, the front part of that name, Mademoiselle, and then Zaley was like the end half. And so there were two women that were, they were there at different times. They didn't overlap, but they both have these kind of cute names. I like that. That's so cute. Yeah, I like that a lot. And so then Desmond says that as a child, he'd actually gone on holiday with a family that lived near the Ravenscrofts. And so he had known Celia since they were a lot younger because they would 
wherever they were on holiday, they would play like the all the kids would all play together from that neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And so he he had known the governesses as well because because of these holidays he would go on. So then Superintendent Garraway comes over. This is this is separate later in the day. Superintendent Garraway comes over to compare notes with Poirot and he's got a lot of info for him. So I think Poirot like made a list of questions that he had and then Garraway like kind of went away and figured them out for him. And so first he gives Poirot the address of the hairdresser who had made all the wigs for Lady Ravenscroft. And then second, he says Poirot was right about the girls being twins. So he's saying Margaret Ravenscroft, known as Molly as a child, had a twin sister, Dorothea, who is known as Dolly. So the twins are known as Molly and Dolly, mm-hmm. which is also cute. That is really cute. Wow. <laughs> and so this is the, the mother of Celia Ravenscroft and her sister. And Dorothea was the twin that had been the one with the early tragedy. And so what had happened was her husband had died and she had kind of possibly been in like a state of shock. And shortly after her husband had died, her youngest son had died. And supposedly, according to um, Dorothea or Dolly's perspective, she had been in the house and had watched out a window as her older child, she had an older daughter, had kind of maybe pushed or like hit the younger child and he'd accidentally fallen into a pond on the property and drowned. Mm -hmm. Well, that's awful. But there are clearly other accounts that say something different. Yeah, there's other accounts saying that the mother, like Dorothea Dolly, had been the one who had pushed the child into the pond Mm. and had been like purposeful. So she had gone to a psychiatric hospital afterwards and later had been pronounced. It was like during this time when, um, I don't know if this would happen nowadays, if you killed your child, even if it was due to a, like a, a mental disorder, if you would be able to be pronounced cured a few years later. But that was the idea. Is like she would go to the psychiatric hospital, they would do all these treatments, and then they could decide if she was cured or not, if she like would ever do that again, or if she, I don't know, like whatever. Yeah, they decided. But so that's what had happened. So she had been released. And she'd actually been in the Ravenscroft house three weeks before the the tragedy had occurred. But she had she had died herself. She was known to sleepwalk because of um, pills that she took, like I think it was a side effect. And she had actually walked and fallen off a cliff. So the, the house that they lived in in England was right on a, like a cliff on the ocean. And so she had gone down a path that kind of led nowhere and fallen to her death. Oof. Yeah, that is very tragic. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so th- and this is three weeks before the other, like the husband and wife die. And so I think Poirot asks, like, is there, was there any suggestion that Molly, the wife, had been so fraught because of her sister's death that she had wanted to commit suicide? And the police officer, Garraway, kind of goes, no, there was no one thought that. I Like, no one, they seemed to be fine. I, no one thought that that was the reason for it. Okay. Then Poirot goes over to meet Mrs. Oliver. I think this might be on like the following day because Mrs. Oliver has kind of organized for Celia to come over for a visit. And so while they wait for Celia to arrive, they kind of discuss some of the main points of the case. And so Poirot says the first thing is like the four wigs. He's like big questions about four wigs just seems like a lot of wigs to him. And then the sister with a mental illness, like that's another question, is what we like can we get some more information about that and then 
he finds it weird that money doesn't factor into this at all. Like money and the will and everything like that has not come up at all. That never seemed to be a problem. And clearly the police didn't think so. Like there seemed no reason. I think the will stated that like the, the wife had left all her money to the husband and the husband had left all his, or their, his money to the wife. And so just by default, both kids would then inherit mm-hmm. who were 14 and younger. And then his last question is, why does Mrs. Burton Cox want to know things so badly? Like that seems odd or like suspicious to him a little bit. What's he's like, what's going on there? So then Celia arrives and they kind of chat about Poros could try to get out of her. Do you really want to know the truth? Like, do you really want to know what's happened? And it's he's kind of saying, I I will find it out. Like that's my job. But I once I found out, like what's kind of he's saying, once I start trying to figure something out, I'm not gonna stop. So I need you to tell me if you really want to know the truth. And she she says that it's it's important to her. She does want to know, yes, Poirot should continue. Okay. And then she tells them that the reason, she's like, I'm sure you've heard from Desmond himself that he was adopted, but it's actually because Mrs. Burton Cox um, had had a son who had died. And so she was kind of almost trying to fill this void or this gap that had been left by her son dying by adopting Desmond. And she doesn't feel that either of them really love each other. It's kind of just this like, working relationship where they both live together but they're not they're not devoted to each other maybe like they would be if they were blood related yeah um and then the other thing is that she doesn't think desmond is dependent on his mother and so that being that she's pretty sure that money had been settled on him during the adoption from his adopted from his real parents um that he wouldn't kind of get when he became of age and so the fact that Mrs. Burton Cox maybe doesn't want them to get married, even if they do, it's not like she could like withhold money from them or something like that. Yeah. <sighs> so much information, right? Yeah. Well, I think it's also interesting that well, when Poirot spoke to Desmond, Desmond was immediately saying that, you know, he wants to marry her, but she won't get married until they know what, you know, if this is hereditary or whatever. But when they, when Celia first spoke to Mrs. Oliver, when asked about Desmond, she was like, we're not going to get married. Like, I, we're not going to get married. I don't want to marry him. Blah, 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 that kind of stuff. Seems like they're not on the same page. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I might have explained it badly. I think Celia, like, she does love Desmond. She just, marriage right now, like, it, she just doesn't want to get married right now. Oh, okay. She's kind of maybe looking a little more to the future. Okay, okay. Yeah, so she doesn't, yeah, sorry. She didn't give off so much the vibes of, like, is against it yeah and you kind of get a feeling that she also might have what desmond is saying about her being worried about a possible hereditary connection i don't know if she ever says it outright but you get that feeling that it is it is worrying her and that's part of the work like she doesn't know what happened with her parents she wants to know okay that makes sense Mm -hmm. so celia leaves and then mrs oliver and poro kind of discuss Poirot's asking, is Celia anything like her mother? And oh, Mrs. Oliver is kind of like trying to throw her mind back to her school days with uh, Molly, the mother. And she goes, no, I don't think she was like Molly. Like they they have very different personalities where uh, Celia is kind of more self-assured and um, direct and to the point. Whereas Molly was just kind of um, maybe a little more free-spirited is how they describe it. Mm-hmm. And then Mrs. Oliver also only remembers Molly being at school. Like, even though Molly and Dolly were twins, same age, whatever, Dolly was not at the school with them. And she's kind of remembering 
she thinks that Molly didn't talk about it too much at school, but she was kind of remembering that yeah, maybe she had been, there had been like an aunt at one point who took Dolly on like a cruise to like better her health. And so there was kind of talks of Dolly maybe having, Mrs. Oliver always thought that maybe she was injured or like that she was, there was something physically that, that a reason why she couldn't attend school or something like that, mm -hmm. but she had never like known the real reason when she was, when she was a kid. So next, they've set up the same day for Mrs. Burton Cox to have a meeting with Mrs. Oliver. And so when she arrives, she's like super surprised to see Poirot and to hear that he is helping. Like she hadn't heard that Poirot had kind of been like asked by Mrs. Oliver to help out. Yeah. And she kind of goes on about how nobody tells their mothers anything anymore. And then basically that's all she says. And then she kind of goes, oh, it's so good of you, Poirot, to be like, to be helping. Like, oh, yes, yes. Oh, I forgot I have an appointment. I have to go. Oh, I'll take your card. Yes, I'll be in contact with you. And then she kind of leaves the house really quickly. Weird. It is. And both Poirot and Mrs. Oliver can tell she's running away. Yeah. Like she was trying to get out of there. And so they think the reason for that must be that there's something she doesn't want them to know. And now that like there's a real detective on the case, she's worried. She's worried that he's going to unearth something that she didn't want to come to light. Yeah. So after after Mrs. Burton Cox has left, Poirot and Mrs. Oliver kind of discuss their next steps, like what they should keep, what they should do to keep this investigation going. Mm -hmm. And Poirot tells Mrs. Oliver, "You're not done yet. Like you still need to help me. I need you to go have an interview with the wig maker from all those years ago. She's still alive. They've just moved shops." And on the other hand, Poirot is going to go see the doctor that Dolly had been seeing mm -hmm. for at, at this um, psychiatric hospital. Or who maybe had recommended that she go to a psychiatric hospital. So this doctor that Poirot goes to visit is called Dr. Willoughby. And he's actually the son of the doctor who had worked, um, who had analyzed Dolly. But even so, they kind of both went into the same profession. And so the son knows a, a whole lot. He had been, he had maybe been present, even though he wasn't the one officially on the case. And so he says that his dad had always been interested, particularly interested in twins and the idea of like, I feel like it kind of gets talked about a little bit nowadays of that idea of like, if twins are separated at birth, will they still grow up to have very similar lives? Yeah. Like, how much is nature? Yeah, exactly. So that's what he'd been interested in. And so he talks about how Molly and Dolly had been the, those kind of typical twins where they like lost their first tooth in the same week. They, um, they married very similar types of people. They both had similar children, like those kinds of like life milestones yeah. that they had passed at kind of the same time. Mm -hmm. And so then Dr. Willoughby tells the story of, of Dolly. And so this is kind of our, our first like official account of what happened, not just hearsay. Yeah. And so he says her husband had died after, like I think shortly after they had had their second kid, maybe a few years after. And he had left her very nervy. She was kind of unhappy and nervy. And when her youngest child had died, Dolly's account was that she'd seen, this is, so we've heard this before. She'd seen the older daughter do it, but Dolly is saying that, but the doctor kind of knew that it was the husband who had wanted the second child. Dolly didn't want the second child. She had actually gone to several doctors trying to get abortion, but at the t that time abortions weren't performed. Mm -hmm. Like it, I think it was still illegal interesting or kind of frowned upon maybe and so when she'd gone to hospital to be treated she had actually admitted that it was her and so there it wasn't confirmed because she was in this possible like mental state where she maybe wasn't able to 
speak completely clearly for her like um like they couldn't necessarily believe everything she said yeah. but it was that idea of where they they really thought that it was actually her mm-hmm. so she had again as they said quote unquote been like cured or whatever that means or maybe gotten to a certain point i'm not i'm not sure what that meant in that days if it's like they had found the right medications that would help like help her yeah like she was stabilized kind of yeah or like not have those those the feelings or urges or whatever that she had so after being released it was advised and this is like this was the the feeling in the day was that you could be released but it was advised that you either live with like close family or that you live with a nurse mm-hmm. and so because her family was away she had lived with this nurse until she had moved out to Malaya to be with her sister and her sister's husband mm-hmm. and so the doctor says yes in Malaya there was another tragedy and it had been what had actually happened was a child of a neighbor had been attacked and it had thought at first to be the, the the neighbor's nanny that attacked the child, but it had come out that I think there had just been like a lot of gossip that actually it was Dolly, the the Mrs. the Ravenscroft's sister, yeah, Lady Ravenscroft's sister. And so, shortly after, Lord Lady Ravenscroft had sent Dolly back to England to either the same or a different psychiatric hospital to be treated again. Oh, poor Dolly, man. Yeah. And then Dr. Willoughby tells an interesting fact that originally it was Dolly and Lord Ravens or Mr. Ravenscroft that had been in love. They had they had been the original ones to fall in love. And I think there had been even some propositions possibly of marriage. But then suddenly um, Mr. Ravenscroft had fell in love with Molly, the sister, who he ended up actually marrying. Oh. Yeah. So he's kind of saying he's not sure if Dolly ever, that affection for Mr. Ravenscroft had ever gone away, if, he, if she had ever, like, stopped loving him, mm-hmm. or if there had been any, like, hard feelings between the sisters. He's not too sure. Um, Mr. Ravenscroft, he thinks that Mr. Ravenscroft found it embarrassing when Dolly visited because there had been that something between them, and so he thinks that it was more likely that Molly wanted her sister to come live with them. Yeah. So then Poro asks, is it possible that Molly could have pushed Dolly over the cliff when they had been living, like living, living in England and then three weeks later committed suicide? And Dr. Willoughby refuses to believe that. He's like, there's no way I, I think, I don't think Molly was in that state of mind. I, I can't believe it. Okay. So maybe on the same day, Mrs. Oliver goes to visit the hairstylist. And so she, she's the hairstylist and beautician. Her name is Mrs. Rosentel, and she kind of says that wigs aren't really done nowadays. Like, it was a thing a decade or two ago, but now she they don't really do very many wigs anymore. They more just, like, cut hair mm-hmm. and whatnot. But she remembers Lady Ravenscroft, and she remembers the four wigs. Mrs. Oliver asks, like, is four wigs too many or a lot of wigs? And she kind of says... This is when she says, like, well, most women had at least two. So some women could have three or four. Like, you could even have more, but... Like, two was probably the norm. Okay. And she remembers the tragedy and that it was very sad. And she kind of, she had gotten the impression that Lady Ravenscroft had had cancer. She actually had ordered two more wigs shortly before her death. She thinks, like, maybe, like, six weeks before. And a French girl had actually come instead to pick them up instead of Lady Ravenscroft herself. She kind of says she thinks Lady Ravenscroft was in a hospital at the time and so couldn't pick them up. Okay. So then Mrs. Oliver kind of, I think she's feeling like these are some weird questions. Should I, should I ask something like for advice? And so she asks if she would find a wig useful. 
and Mrs. Rosenthal kind of like reaches out and like touches her head and goes, nah, your hair's pretty thick. I think you're good. <laughs> That's what I want to hear. Yeah, it's the kind of like, support that I need for my hairdresser. Yeah. <laughs> How are you feeling about everything right now before I keep going? I'm, I'm feeling good. There are so many like different accounts. Mm-hmm. Do you feel strongly about any 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 of what has been said, or do you have any of your own opinions of what possibly could have happened? Not yet. I feel like there's mm-hmm. still too many unknowns, like too many variables. Mm-hmm. And especially now learning about like all the things uh, going on with Dolly. Mm-hmm. And then also like the fact that like clearly there's something going on with um, Mrs. Burton Cock or Crocker. It's C O X. I've been saying Cox. Um, Mrs. Burton Cox. Yeah, yeah. So clearly there's something going on with her as well, and that's like kind of another thing that's interesting. It's like, is it a separate issue or is it the same exactly. issue? Exactly. Is it the same story? Yeah. yeah. Like, is she somehow like related into all of this? How does she factor in? Mm-hmm. Well, this might clear up some things. It might not. It might make it more confusing. This guy visits Poro. His name's Mr. Gobi. And this is also another kind of recurring character. And what basically what his profession is, is like, if you have a lot of money, you can hire Mr. Gobi. And he basically, his like sole job is to like find things out. So he's kind of like, he's almost like a private investigator where he just like has all these people working for them and he can find out anything, any information you want on anybody, he'll find it he'll out. Find. It's like, you want to know what someone wrote in their will? He's got you. You want to know uh, if someone's cheating on someone else? He'll find it out. Like that's his that's his profession. Okay. So Poirot hires him in other in other stories as well. So this one, he's asked him to collect information. And so the first thing that Mr. Gobi tells Poirot is that Mrs. Burden Cox had been married first to this guy named Mr. Adbury. So that had been her first name, her first husband. And he had been killed in a car accident and had left all of his this, so this is the husband that she had had her child, her child with that had died. Mm-hmm. So the husband had died and his, in his will had left all his money to this woman named Miss Kathleen Fenn, who he had been having an affair with and Mrs. Burton Cox didn't know about Oof. it. Oof. Yeah. That's so rough. Oh my God. Can you imagine? That's so, that's cold blooded, man. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, especially, like, your wife has your kid. Like, you, you guys have a kid together, and you're not going to leave her. Yeah, anymore. nothing. Man, wow. So that was pretty terrible. And so she, this Kathleen Fenn woman, I, do, I think, I don't know if there had been too, too much money left over from the business Ooh. that he had, he, had, he had run, like, a button business or something. Yeah. But anyway, she's left the money, and she ends up becoming a, like, movie star, singer-type person. So she actually makes a name for herself on her own and to make a lot, make a lot of money. And she has a child and she claims that the child is, was Mr. Adbury's. And so she kind of asks Mrs. Burton Cox to adopt the child. She's like, I can't, I don't have the capabilities to raise this child. And Mrs. Burton Cox agrees. And so that's, that's where the son Desmond is his real mother. And then at a certain point, Miss Fenn had asked Mrs. Burton Cox, she wanted to read, like she wanted to take back her son. And Mrs. Burton Cox had been like, no way. Interesting. So Mrs. Burton Cox says, no, you can't readopt him. And so they think that Mrs. Fenn, Miss Fenn probably just thought and thought and thought about this child that she had never seen. And she ends up leaving all of her money to Desmond. 
when and it's kind of like left in trust for when he turns 25 which he's he's not yet and so they're saying yeah he'll he's gonna be he's gonna have money of his own so yeah he won't be dependent on his mother or his his um, adopted mother yeah so Poirot asks if Desmond had made a will of his own, to which Mr. Gelby kind of replies he's not sure, but he will find out. And he also says that Desmond knew that he was adopted, which we've also found out, but that Desmond does not know who his real mother is. Mm-hmm. So then Poirot gets a call from Superintendent Garraway with some more information, and he says Poirot kind of asked him to find out about the do- more about the dog, and so he says, yeah, I don't know how you knew this, but Lady, Lady Ravenscroft did have dog bites. And one of them had been from possibly like as recently as one to two weeks ago. Like it was pretty recent. But she had no, there were no, like she wasn't killed by the dog. It wasn't rabies or anything like that. Like we checked, we would have checked that at the time and it wasn't, there was nothing in her system. Interesting. So then Poirot visits Mrs. Oliver. We're, we're getting down to it. And he says he's going on an investigation trip and he's actually flying to Europe specifically to Geneva, which Mrs. Oliver is really happy with because one of her big things is she hates that Poirot, like Poirot's whole thing is that he just thinks and he'll sit in a chair and think about the pieces of the puzzle for the mystery and try and solve mm-hmm. it. Whereas Mrs. Oliver is like big into action and thinks that like you should be doing something. Doing something. Mm-hmm. So she's pleased that he's going on a trip. But before he goes, he kind of suggests that Desmond had written a will, possibly urged on by Mrs. Burton Cox, like the mother had convinced him to, and he had left everything to her. And he's saying that will would be void if he marries Celia, and in turn, and actually Celia would kind of get all that money. The marriage would kind of nullify the will. Sorry, could you just repeat that again? Yes. Yeah, I'll say it all again. So he tells... Poirot tells Mrs. Oliver that Desmond had written a will, possibly urged on by Mrs. Burton Cox. They don't know that, but he's Poirot's kind of saying, I don't know that Desmond would have written a will on his own accord if he hadn't been encouraged by someone mm-hmm. else. And in that will, he leaves everything he owns to Mrs. Burton Cox, to the mother. Okay. But if Desmond and Celia had been married, that marriage would have voided the will. And Celia would actually inherit everything if Desmond were to die. So he's kind of kind of hinting at is like, this sounds like the reason Mrs. Burton Cox didn't want Celia marrying Desmond. Hmm. So uh, what are you thinking now? (laughs) That's very interesting. I mean, what is this woman capable of? Because like you mentioned earlier that, or I believe you mentioned, I might have um, heard it wrong, but that Celia is not 100% sure that there's really love between them. And that mm-hmm. we're just kind of like a, I'm your mom, you're my son, apparently. And we, you know, have this, we have to do what we do because that those are like our rules. So like, it's very interesting. Yeah, that's definitely the vibes. That if he were to die mysteriously, well, I guess not mysteriously, but if he were to die, then she would get all this money from this famous birth mother who who she actually knows mm-hmm. interesting interesting yeah that yeah exactly it's like okay i see you mrs Burton Fox. Yeah. i see what you're up to like are are you really like this woman who took in this child whose mother wasn't able to take care of him and then grew to love him or are you this woman who like took in this child 
and like are set on some sort of revenge for the woman who like well your husband was having an affair with <laughs> very interesting yeah so before so now Poirot kind of he had told mrs oliver that and then he's like on his way to geneva but before he goes he stops by the gravesite of the they have a Lady Ravenscroft, Lord Ravenscroft, and the sister, Dolly, all had a shared tombstone. And it's kind of, their names are written on it and when they died. And then there's an inscription that says, in their deaths, they were not divided. Poirot is thinking to himself, yes, I think I'm right. And he thinks that the Swiss girl must have known. And then he kind of thinks to himself, but will she tell me? Hmm... So we're kind of we're kind of getting the idea now that Poirot probably knows what's yeah, happened. He like he he feels like he has he has the solution. He just doesn't have facts, and so you kind of get this idea as he he's, he's going on this trip to kind of confirm some things. Okay. So before we get to that, would you like to take kind of like a guess, seeing as you probably have enough information? Oh my gosh! If Poirot knows, I actually have no idea. Is that? Bad? I don't know. <laughs> That's that's fair. Definitely, this is like I feel like not like the typical Agatha Christie mystery, or even like the typical format of the mystery. But just take, think out loud about what maybe like if there's any specific points that um, you still think are confusing or don't fit in or things like that. Well, I think that this tombstone inscription is interesting because it kind of says that there was something maybe bigger than the three of them going on that. They were all, like, in it together. Uh-huh. And so I'm thinking it must tie back to what happened in Malaya. Okay. Because they were all there and that horrible thing happened with the child. Oh, man. Are you thinking that it's a, like, quote-unquote inside job? Like, it was someone in the house? There was It was more suicide than anything? Or do you think there was, like, an outsider? I think there must have been an outsider. Okay. And... So that's what you're thinking is like someone yeah. from Malaya. Somebody, somebody okay. wanted them. So they knew something and then somebody didn't want them like it getting out. I don't know though. Ah, so that's kind of, that's going back to like Mrs. Oliver saying like money isn't an op, like a, why is money not factoring into it? Like wh- who benefits from their death? Like, do you think it's something like that? Yeah. Hmm. Wow. I'm very interested to see how this ends, because I feel like I'm probably completely wrong, but we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> Let me tell you, I'll tell you he's what he finds out in Geneva, okay. and then you can take another guess if you want to change anything you've said, and or not, and then we'll get into the solution. Okay. That's a very exciting solution. So first, Poirot, when he gets to Europe, he goes to see Mademoiselle Roussel. So this was the first governess known as Maddie yeah. to the children. And so she had been with the young, the Ch- the Ravenscroft children for about three to four years when they were young, like much younger. And she kind of talks about the couple, like the, the Lady Ravenscroft and Laura Ravenscroft as like a very happy couple who loved their children. Like that's the vibe she had gotten from them. And she says that the twin sister Dolly had visited from time to time and that she thinks that Dolly was a very jealous woman. And she thought, she thinks... This is Maddie saying she thinks Dolly thought that too much attention was given to the children that they like. Yeah. So that kind of idea. And she thinks that Maddie's opinion of Dolly is like, sometimes it looks like she adored her sister, Molly. And sometimes it looked like she had hated her. Like it, it, that's what, how it had seemed to Molly is this like 
battle back and forth between love and hate. Mm -hmm. But Maddie doesn't have, she kind of says, I was there when they were a lot younger and then I had left. You should really go to see Mademoiselle Morat or Zaley, the, uh, com- like the affectionate name, because she was there more recent, like more recently than I was and she'd probably know more. And Plara goes like, yeah, 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 I, I'm plan- planning to see her. So that's where he goes. Okay. And so Zaley had been with the, she had come to the children a few years after Maddie had left and also been there for several years. And so she kind of tells, she tells part of the story of what happened. And so it's, again, very similar to the accounts we had heard, but the idea that the husband and wife had like gone out for a walk and had been found with a gun between them. And then, you know, the like police had come, they had identified the fingertips, the the, fingertips, (laughs) the fingerprints. And so Poirot kind of asks her about all of this. He was like, and you found no reason to doubt that it was suicide? And she replies, the police found no reason, I believe. Hmm. So Poirot kind of goes like, ah, I see what you're saying. And so throughout the conversation, he kind of goes, I know you know more than you're telling us. Yeah, he's like, I know you know more. And he's almost like, I I think I know what happened. And I think you can confirm that that's the truth or not. Like, I think you can tell me if I'm right or not. And she kind of says, well, what if I don't want to? And then he kind of, he kind of gives her this description of, she's like, you love Celia, you know her. She's right now, won't get married to the man she loves because she's so worried about this tragedy. And I think it's necessary for the truth to come out. Okay. Do you, have any, do you have any other opinions? I know that wasn't a lot of information. It's just more like... Honestly, no. Not none at all. I have no idea. <laughs> I think I'm going to be very surprised. I don't know. I'm still sticking with my like idea that there was somebody on the outside. Like, not... It wasn't a suicide is basically what I'm saying. Okay, yeah. Which is not a lot, but I'm going to stick with it. Okay. <laughs> Good. Well, then would you like to hear the, the solution as Poirot kind of gives it? Okay. So it's a very kind of picturesque setting. So I'll try and place you there. He goes, he kind of goes back to the house where husband and wife, like Molly and her husband and her sister had been living. And he's standing out on the cliff, kind of looking out at the ocean and Celia and Desmond arrive. He's had that ask them to come. And he's also asked Mrs. Oliver and Zaley to come as well. For this kind of a retelling of what happened. And so Celia is so happy to see her old governess. And also Mrs. Oliver. And to kind of have those people that are important to her with mm-hmm. them. And then Poirot kind of starts to describe what had happened. And kind of he's saying this is what happened. And this is how I figured out what had happened. Okay. And so he's kind of saying. Celia is asking. Was it, I just want to know. Was it a suicide? Was it a murder? And Poirot goes. Well it was kind of both. There was a suicide. There was a murder. And there was even an execution. And the entire thing was a tragedy. Wow. And so that's his kind of explanation of what happened. And so then he kind of gets into it. And he says. I'm sure. The first kind of what had th- brought him onto the track. Was that the four wigs. He was like it's so weird that there were four wigs. And the fact that two of them were ordered so recently before the tragedy like at first she'd only had two and then she'd ordered another two four weeks just seemed like too many and then he goes into the fact he says it was also important to me to know that the housekeeper was blind blind and deaf that was oh my god identical twins yes oh my god identical twins four wigs one with dog bites one without 
Oh, yes. I still have no idea what happened, but I'm excited. <laughs> oh, no. So the dog bites was important, too, because that's the, the third thing Poro says is that the fact that Molly had been described as like her dog had loved her. The dog had been very affectionate towards her, but for some reason had all these dog bites right before the tragedy. Why is that? And so he said, and then he's saying, if, like, do- dogs are very smart creatures. Like, they, pro- they probably know more than us. He's saying the dog knew more than anyone knew. And that was that um, it wasn't Molly that was a part of this, like, quote unquote, double suicide. It was Dolly. Oh, my gosh. So then he kind of passes it over to Zaley to kind of explain because she had been in the house at this time, like, taking care of her kind of mistress. Um, taking care of Molly. And so how she describes it was Molly and Dolly had gone out for a walk one day and Dolly had come back to the house and kind of acting strange. And when Lord Ravenscroft had seen her, she she had blood all over her hand. And he asked her about it. And she was like, oh, it's nothing. I just pricked myself on a rose bush. But both Lord Ravenscroft and Zaley know, knew that there were no rose bushes on the property. So immediately they were tipped off to something strange. And so they went out onto the property to look and they found Molly kind of almost beaten to death. It looked like kind of surrounded her own blood. She wasn't dead yet, but she was battered with rocks and things like that. Mm -hmm. And they were just about to go find a doctor when she kind of came to and told her husband, you can't, like, I'm going to die anyways. Uh, Like a doctor's not going to make it in time. You can't let Dolly go back to an institution or hospital or the jail or anything like that. Like she can't be locked up again. You need to save her. Like, I loved my sister. You have to save her. Like, this, you, if you love me, you'll do what I want you to do. You need to save Dolly. And so this is both Zaley and Lord Ravenscroft kind of seeing this. And they honor her wish. And I think they move the body somewhere else and kind of stage it as they realize, or the husband realizes that he could pretend that it's Dolly who died because no one would know. Mm-hmm. They hadn't been in the country that long. So they stage it as this sleepwalking because Dolly did sleepwalk. And so they stage it as that. And then they pretend, to, he kind of says to Zaley, we're going to pretend that Dolly is actually Molly. And so that's why they went to go buy the, the wigs was to help her appear to look like what Molly would have looked like mm-hmm. for this kind of blinding deaf housekeeper who wouldn't, who would only kind of recognize she's wearing the same clothes. She has the same hair. Yeah, And then as... Zaley was now leaving. She had, you know, she wasn't taking care of Molly anymore. She was going back to Switzerland. And Lord Ravenscroft kind of told her his plan. He was like, I know my wife, Molly, didn't want Dolly to be locked up. She didn't want her to go, like, any harm to come of her. But I I know that if I let Dolly continue to live, more children are going to get hurt. And so I have to do something about it. And so he said, she'll... She'll have no problem coming on a walk with me and she won't even notice I'm going to shoot her and then I'm, I can't live having committed a murder myself, so I will have to commit suicide. Wow. Yeah, no, I wasn't even close. Isn't that a crazy story? I'm just I'm just letting it sink in. Wow. Oh my gosh. Poirot's a genius, honestly. Yeah, I know. I had no idea when I first read this book what was going on. So, yeah, absolutely not. It's so confusing. Okay, I'm glad I'm not the only one then, because w- you were telling me everything, and I was like, I literally <laughs> have no clue. Poro seems to have this, like, line that he picked right at the beginning when he asks about a dog, and then all of a sudden he, he like, knows, and I'm still sitting here like, I don't know, like, uh, yeah. <laughs> maybe... 
I know I was kind of reading he kept bringing up the wigs and I was like how are the wigs important who cares who cares about the wig pretty important you like wigs and so what they had a job whatever I don't know man (laughs) do you have are there is there anything like I haven't answered unanswered questions that you have well why does Desmond's adopted mother care so much so it seems, and they never like get this out of her directly, but it just seems that she she had gotten she she knew that Desmond was going to inherit all this money, and not that she wanted him to die, but she kind of I think knew that she could kind of control him when he inherited the money. But Celia, she didn't approve of Celia slash she didn't think she could control Celia. So if they got married, she would lose all claims and all ability to control that money that he was going to well, inherit. Okay. So. She had nothing to do with the tragedy, but had um, a stake in their relationship. Yeah. And so she was just trying to find anything that would stop them from getting married. And so she was kind of just throwing this idea that there might be a mental illness in the family that could be hereditary. Well, She's not saying that. But that was enough of the suggestion. Goal was to, she was just trying to scare them. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, I was not even close, but wow. So you want to know what question I had that never gets answered? In the yes. Book? You know how so Dolly kills or supposedly kills her younger child. Mm-hmm. There's still an older child. There's like this you yeah. know, older girl that might have been eight or nine or something like that. At the Where time. did she go? She never gets mentioned again. Yeah. Like what happened to that girl? Celia's cousin. Very true. Uh-huh. Like is she under anybody's care? Her mother was going back and forth between these psychiatric facilities and her sister's house, like was she yeah. also in a boarding school? There's absolutely no mention of it. It's just totally yeah, left out of the story. Very completely. good question. So I, I started to think I was like, was it actually a boy? Is Desmond was he the one that was like he was adopted and he's actually Dolly's kid? But no. Oh. That wasn't it. <laughs> oh. Man, this actually the story reminds me so much. I was on in like a YouTube rabbit hole the other day and it was I don't know, some like BuzzFeed mm-hmm. show where they had like this private investigator who watching mm-hmm. I guess it was from like the 90s. Um it's like this video challenge I guess where they they have this di- database of these video interviews that are all out of order of this woman from about this murder of her husband um or the death of her husband anyway. Mm-hmm. And they are all these like short clips out of order and you have to like start watching them and then you can search keywords to bring up new clips, etc. So he was trying to figure out what happened and it was also a twins, identical twin sister situation. Mm. There you go. Cool. Wow. That was so much fun. Thank you. I'm glad you had fun. Yeah, this was a good, this, it's, it's dead very different, which is fun because it's new wow i'm still kind of shook <laughs> i did not expect that. Have to sit on it all day. totally out of the field <laughs> i'm just gonna be sitting and thinking about that wow <laughs> i well now i'm wondering like why couldn't she go back why did she kill her sister like i guess she she was everybody was saying she was such a jealous person blah 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 sometimes she loved her sometimes she did it but like what pushed her to, to do that and why couldn't she go back like were they torturing her like I feel like I need a, a follow-up. Yeah, so she, there's kind of some mention to, she kind of says after they found out that she killed the sister, like the husband finds out, and she kind of says to the husband, like, I always knew that she was, like, bad, like, she had to die 
it's like you're you're basically she's saying to the husband like you're mine we were supposed to get married like i'm in love with you like molly stole you from me and she always had to be gotten rid of like i've always known that this was gonna happen Mm. so it's very very like clearly she is not she's not quite stable no no there's something wrong and it has not fully been addressed ever no treated well then yeah wow all right well thank you lauren and thank you to everyone at home listening and if you'd like to listen to any more episodes you can check out tuesday night mystery club on spotify apple podcasts wherever you listen to podcasts and you can follow me on instagram at tuesday night mystery club so thank you everyone and thank you lauren thanks